the gospel of grace. The gospel, it literally means good news. It's the core of the Christian faith, the Christian hope, the Christian message. But I reckon this good news is quite hard to understand if we haven't grasped what the bad news is first. And that's what this passage that Lou's just read is all about. Bad news, God's interruption, good news. Let me pray. Father, help us to understand your word this evening. Speak by your Holy Spirit to our hearts and help me to speak as you would have me speak. In Jesus' name, amen. So if we were to look anywhere in the whole of Scripture to hear about the gospel of grace, Ephesians 2 is not a bad shout. It's not a bad place to start. And that's our passage this evening. It's taken from the letter of Ephesians. As Richard said, we're working through a series on this this letter. Um, And it was written by a man called Paul, sometimes called the Apostle Paul, sometimes called Saint Paul, to a church, a people in a place called Ephesus. So a seemingly random question to start with, can anyone tell me what is the difference between seawater and freshwater, tap water, rainwater? What is the difference between those two things? Salt, thank you. Salt, seawater is salty, isn't it? There is no seawater that is not salty. Not one little bit, not one drop. I even Googled it, because you can't say something like that publicly without really knowing it for sure, can you? There is not one drop of seawater that is not salty. And just like that, with the gospel, there is not one bit of the gospel that is not saturated with God's grace. No element of the gospel can be isolated from God's grace. In fact, the whole of the good news of the gospel is that it's by grace, defined by grace. Apart from grace, it's not the gospel. Now, what is grace? Well, the most common way of explaining it is that grace is undeserved or unmerited favor. So that's like goodness towards us that we haven't earned. We'll come back to that definition a bit later. So why is it important that the whole of the gospel is saturated with God's grace as the sea is with salt? Why have we got to be so careful not to take grace out of the gospel? Well, it's important. In fact, it's essential because if we begin to remove grace from the gospel, we find our churches filled with people who are trying to earn their salvation earn what Jesus did for us on the cross when he sacrificed himself. Have you ever found yourself in that place? I know I have. And not only that, but when we remove grace from the gospel, we find our churches filled with people who are trying to maintain their salvation. So Jesus got us over the line, but we've got to cling on. We've got to paddle as fast as we can to stay afloat. Not only that, but we find our churches filled with people who are discouraged 
They know the good news, but live in a state of discouragement, maybe trying to turn a corner in our spiritual lives, maybe start a new habit or break an old habit. And every time they stumble or fall short, at every mess up, they find themselves asking, well, what's the point in discouragement? Lastly, we find a world that feels as though it's not good enough to come to God. Before I became a Christian, one thing you might catch me saying was, oh, I can't go into a church, I'd set fire. You ever heard that one before? This is what happens when we remove grace from the gospel. Now, if you have a Bible with you or you have a Bible on your phone, we're gonna, I'm going to walk through this passage. And as we go through it chronologically, I'm going to pull out three things. It's a real surprise, isn't it, to have a sermon with three points. But that's what I'm going to do. Three things, three big points from this passage. And the first point I'm going to pull out of this passage is that before grace, we are miserably lost. These first few verses, they don't chime very well with culture. What the world wants us to believe about people and what society wants us to believe about ourselves. The first thing that Paul mentions in this passage is that we were dead in our transgressions and sins. Spiritually dead. In verse 2 it says, In which you once walked... So not just dead in our sin, but we were in fact dead men and women walking, living in a spiritually dead state. Now this is important because it goes all the way back to our understanding of sin, right at the beginning of the Bible, at the beginning of God's story, when God creates the world and he establishes the garden and he creates Adam and Eve and he gives them um, information and understanding about what to do, what not to do, how to reign, and the one thing they shouldn't do. This is from Genesis 2. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, spoiler alert, if you haven't read Genesis, they eat it. Okay, sorry, but that's what happens. They eat it. And just before they do, when the serpent is tempting Eve... What does the serpent say? Well, in chapter 3, the serpent begins to sort of undermine what God has said and get Eve to question what God really said and what he meant. And the serpent says, surely you will not die. And then there's this moment, isn't there, when they fall into sin and they are covered with shame and this closeness that they had with God, it was ripped apart. And in that moment, they died. But they didn't just fall down dead, did they? They wasn't sort of two corpses in the garden. No, they were alive, but they were spiritually dead. Their spiritual lifeline, their relationship with God, their creator, was cut off. And that's why it says in Romans chapter 5, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, so also death was passed on to all people. In other words, apart from grace, we are all spiritually dead. 
And that's not the only way that Paul describes it. Before grace, we were spiritually dead. Now remember, this is bad news. I did say that, didn't I? If anyone's feeling like, oh gosh, this is really heavy. I did say it's bad news. Paul says that our miserable condition, it only gets worse. We weren't just dead, but before grace, we were deceived. Apart from grace, we are deceived. Look what it says in verse 2. He says, in which you once walked, this deadness of sin that I've just mentioned, following... And this word following, it literally means that we are being coerced by, enticed by, misled by, deceived by. He mentions three things that we were following, being deceived by. Firstly, he says we were following the course of this world. That's what the world values, what the world tells us that we should be pursuing. Secondly, he says, we were following, being misled by and controlled by the prince of the power of the air, the enemy himself, the devil. The author of darkness is deceiving us and misleading us. It's important to say here that the enemy is not reigning sovereignly. He can't control you, but he's enticing us and appealing to our sinful nature. So the world misleads us and gets its grip in us and controls what we believe and starts to entice us and deceive us about what we should believe about ourselves and about others. The enemy entices us and um, appeals to our sinful nature. And thirdly, Paul says that we were deceived by the cravings of the flesh following its thoughts and desires. Now, I can say with confidence that not one of us is immune to the cravings of the flesh. Paul sometimes uses the word flesh to refer to our sinful nature. So these are distorted, ungodly um, desires to gratify our senses in ways that are not good for us and not good for others. It's the inclination to do what we know that what God has shown us to not be right. Can you imagine a world where everyone did everything that they desired to do at any time? The devastation to others. So this, this, these first few verses, they're telling us that the world, um, the enemy, and our own sinful natures are guiding us and deceiving us, and we are dead in our sin. Before grace, we are miserably lost. So let's just pause for a moment. I don't want to rush on to God's interruption because like I mentioned earlier, if we don't get the bad news, the good news is not as important. It doesn't feel as as worthy, as, as, as important. I wonder if you're sitting here and you're hearing this and you're thinking, well, that was Paul writing to the church in Ephesus and maybe that's how they were, but that's how I am. I do feel out of control with the behaviors I have. I am enslaved to doing certain things and I hurt myself and I hurt others. I'm not in control. Well, I pray that the gospel of God's grace would begin to penetrate that darkness that you have just recognized and that you might be convicted by the light of the gospel that can redeem you. Perhaps you're here this evening and you're thinking, well, 
that kind of condition that I've just described, it doesn't quite match up with your experience and your lifestyle. I mean, you know, maybe you've, maybe you've been a Christian since you were a child, or maybe you've, even, if, even when you came to faith, you lived quite a wholesome life and maybe not really deviated down any of those paths of really obvious sin, and it feels like it's just a bit extreme for where you are. Well, Jesus himself addresses this. He tells the parable of a man called, um, he tells a parable to a man called Simon who had some questions for Jesus about who Jesus let come near him. And Jesus told him this parable. So Jesus says, supposed there was a man who had two people who owed him money. So one person owed this man 50 and another person owed this man 500. And neither of them could pay this debt. So the man chose to forgive them both. Jesus says to Simon, who would love me more? Who would love that man more? Now Simon knows he's being set up. And he feels a bit trapped. But he doesn't know how to escape it. So he answers, well, I suppose it was the one who was forgiven more. Jesus' point to Simon was not that those who have no sins under their belt or lower sins under their belt love me more. Um, sorry, his point to Simon wasn't that those who have more sins under their belt love me more because they've been forgiven more. No, his point to Simon was that it's all about realizing that we need forgiveness. And it's the same forgiveness that you need and that I need. We all miss the mark. We all fall short. You can't be a little bit spiritually dead, can you? Apart from grace, we are all dead in our sin. And one final point um, of reflection is that when we consider this miserable state of lostness, apart from grace, perhaps we would consider the world around us. It's important not to take an us and them attitude with this, because apart from God's grace, we're all in the same boat, aren't we? And God's grace is for all. But I think the prayer here is, God, would you give our hearts compassion for those who are spiritually dead and deceived? God, would you interrupt their lives with your gospel of grace? I think we've spent long enough on the bad news don't you? Let's talk about God's big interruption. Okay, now I get a bit sensitive with interrupting, especially in meetings. Obviously, in the staff team, we never interrupt each other, um, obviously. But I remember Dom, you know, he's not here now, but I can speak about him. He's fine. Um, I remember Dom picking it up once, and he said to me, why does it bother you so much? Clearly, it really it came across that I had a bit of a thing about others being interrupted and myself being interrupted. We are going to watch a short video now. Hopefully. Hey, Murph. <laughs> hey, Ronathan. I heard you're having trouble with your computer. Yeah, thanks for coming down. Okay, so what's, uh, what seems to be the problem? Uh, so every time I try to get online, uh -huh. it's asking me for an admin okay. password, sure. but it shouldn't need a password to get onto the internet. Sure. And I should already yeah. have admin privileges on this computer. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Did you get all that? Yeah, yeah, totally. So... You need admin privileges? No, 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 yeah. I already have yeah. admin privileges. Oh, okay. I just Great. need to get on the internet. And okay, it, yeah. I shouldn't need admin privileges. Yeah, 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 got it. 
I feel like you're not actually uh-huh, listening uh-huh. to me. Yeah, yeah, sure. Are you yeah, actually okay. not listening to yeah, me, no, or are you saying that you okay, get sure. that it seems yeah, that totally. way? Yeah, totally, yeah. Yeah, that's, that makes sense. Okay, you need to stop sure. that. Okay, doing what? You need to stop checking in okay, with me so right. much saying okay. yeah. You need to stop yeah. saying yeah. What do you mean? It seems like you're not listening, oh, and that it. you're just focusing got on it. saying yeah, yeah no, and got it sense. and everything. Yeah. Like you took yeah, some okay. kind of active oh, listening oh, class, sure. but yeah, you're not actually totally, paying attention. Totally. Yeah, no, I don't think so. Then why did you just agree mm-hmm. with me a million times mm-hmm. while I said it? Mm-hmm. 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 Okay, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm just showing you that I'm listening to you. So you have a problem with your dog, is what I'm hearing? No, what you're clearly yeah. not listening to me. Just shut up. Aaron, shut sure. up. Okay. Shut up. Sure. Shut up. Sure. Shut up. Yeah. Shut up. Okay. Shut up. Okay. Sure. Shut up. Okay. Don't talk. Don't yeah, talk for sure. a second. Sure. sure totally. Oh, oh got so you. totally. I like those guys. Maybe that's a bit of my humour rather than anyone else's. But some interruptions, they are really annoying, aren't they? Hopefully I'm not the only one who thinks that. Some interruptions are really annoying. But have you ever had a good interruption? I wonder if you can think of one. Well, now I want you, instead of that, I would like you to think about tomorrow. Let's go with like 2 p.m. tomorrow. Picture where you might be. Maybe you're at work. Maybe you're at home. Maybe you're hanging out with friends. 2 p.m. tomorrow, whatever you're doing, what would a great interruption look like? Why don't you turn to someone nearby and tell them what would be your brilliant interruption at 2 o'clock tomorrow? Five more seconds. What are those good interruptions? Would anyone like to share their good interruption? Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> I didn't tell you I was going to do that, sorry. Well, I was, it's not a godly interruption. That's okay. <laughs> well, I was in Gales on the last week. And I was just standing there looking at the wall. And I suddenly went, my goodness, this is Gail Denisha. Mm-hmm. My goodness me, I'm in the old Sainsbury's <laughs> where I used to stand with my mother, aged four or five. I was then, and the baker machine was there. And it was just amazing that those tiles brought me back to that. And I came out with absolute euphoria. That is wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing your good interruption. Anyone else? A good interruption at 2 p.m. tomorrow? Very simply, someone else would have made me a cup of tea. Oh, <laughs> I love that. Anyone, maybe someone can take note of that for you. Any other good interruptions? I'll take one more. Or not, maybe. Go on, Helen, you got one? You don't have to. <laughs> you didn't mean to. I didn't mean to. I was, <laughs> I was just moving. I, well, I said to my husband, I'd love it if my daughter rang me oh. from, from uni. But that... That's not a criticism. Come on, Tabby. Come on, Tabby. Okay, so some interruptions can be pretty wonderful, can't they? Not all of them are annoying like this. Well, 
God's big interruption, back to the sermon, is that by grace, we are mercifully saved. This grace that we've been talking about from the beginning. By grace, we are mercifully saved. God does interrupt our lives. And he interrupts this passage right here at the beginning of verse 4. You'll notice. Now, I was going to say you'll notice two words, but I was pulled up on this this morning because I read the New King James Version of the Bible, and that has it slightly differently phrased. So these two words are together in my version, and they're split by about three other words in the NIV. But the two words are, but God. And there's actually a full stop at the end of that verse 3. Do you see that if you're having a look in your Bible? God never meant for there to be a full stop at the end of your sinful nature. There was always more to come. But God, he intervenes, he interrupts, he interjects with this understanding of grace. And I wonder if the whole message of the Bible can in some way be summarized by these two words. You can rewind to that passage we looked at earlier from Genesis chapter 3 where Adam and Eve sinned and they were separated from God. They had no way to make it right, but God provided a sacrifice and covered their sin. And then God called Abraham, didn't he, and said he was going to make a great nation through Abraham's bloodline. But Abraham and Sarah couldn't have children. They were too, they were old, too advanced in their years, but God made away. And then Joseph, he was sold into slavery, wasn't he, by his brothers? And then he found himself falsely accused of a crime and was in jail. But God, he intervened, he interjected. Moses was living on the backside of a desert in the shame of his past, not feeling like he was any use to God. But God used him to free his people from oppression. We see in the New Testament as well, the man who was born blind, but God made him see, gave him sight. The man who couldn't walk, but God made him leap right there. The little girl who was dead, but God raised her to life. And Jesus being born, fully man, fully God. Jesus is God's big interruption. The whole, of the, mess, the whole of the Bible can be filled in with this. But God, but God. Do you realize that God is still about this business of interrupting us? Of bringing breakthrough? Is God interrupting you right now? By grace, we are mercifully saved. The passage says, look at verse 4, he displays his love through Christ. Paul says God is rich in mercy. Now what is mercy? It's not giving us what we deserve, isn't it? And we can see from those first few verses the bad news that what we deserve is God's worst. But in his mercy, he does not give it to us. He gives us his best. We deserved his worst and he gives us his best. Do you see why this is such good news? We were dead in our sin, miserably lost, and God displays his love through Christ. 
God interjects. He intervenes. And in this, he is mercifully saving us. He notes it in three ways. Okay, do you remember the three ways that we were deceived that we mentioned a bit earlier? By the world's values, that's a finger, by the world's values, by the enemy, and by our own sinful nature. Bad news, okay? Listen to the three verbs that he, that of good news coming now. So in verse 5, Paul says, he made us alive, no longer dead in our sins, alive with Christ. In verse um, f- 6, it says, he raised us up with Christ. And again in verse 6, he says, he seated us in the heavenly realms with Christ. This is the good news. No longer the bad news. God interrupts and this is the good news. Each one of those verbs is actually a Greek phrase that translates best to our word to sink. I don't know if any of you have ever done a lip sync battle or a lip syncing video. Maybe some of you. Or maybe you're more familiar with sort of syncing your photos on your laptop and your phone or syncing your videos. It's that word to sink, to align those two things. Paul says that's what God has done in Jesus. He has synced our lives with Christ. So my final point is under grace, we are miraculously changed. As this passage comes to a close, the last bit of this passage, there's this kind of transformation that happens as we sink with Jesus. We see in these final few verses of our passage that God has been kind of working through his grace to bring about something that's transforming our lives. Because all of this good news, it's not of our own doing. We didn't manufacture it. We didn't make it happen. We don't deserve it. We aren't worthy. Paul writes, it's a gift a gift from God. All of salvation is a gift of God's grace given to us. Paul goes on to say it's not a result of work so no one can boast. That makes it so much easier to talk about because you're not boasting. You're talking about what God has done in your life. Our transformation brings us back to life in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. It reveals that deception that we talked about. And this miraculous change means we're no longer following the world, the enemy, or our sinful nature. In Jesus, we are set free. Jesus offers us freedom in him. So as I come to a close, I just want to touch back on that um, definition we talked about of grace. I said I'd come back to it. The common definition of grace is that grace is unmerited favor or undeserved favor. And this is absolutely true. But it describes grace by a way of action, what it does. And the thing about grace is that it's part of who God is. It's part of his nature. So as God positions us under grace, what he's doing is positioning us in relationship with him. That relationship that we talked about that was severed in the garden, that created this spiritually deadness that we talked about. This is 
God rejoining that relationship with us, that we are made alive in him and under grace, we are miraculously transformed in this relationship, through this relationship with the God that is grace. He is gracious and he is grace. His actions flow out of who he is. Before grace, we are miserably lost, dead in our sin. By grace, we are mercifully saved. God interrupts and sinks us with Christ. And beneath the flow of grace, we are miraculously transformed, changed in a relationship with the God that transforms us and loves us. This is the gospel of grace.